0: Hardee's two-for-five-dollar breakfast bake goodness into your morning. Choose a biscuit with sausage and egg, biscuit and gravy, or French toast dips. Any two, just $5. Hardee's, goodness in the making. These items only. Price and participation may vary. Tax not included. What's going on, F.A. Nation? Welcome back. This is the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast brought to you through the Better Sports Network. I am Dan Malin, and I am joined by the FSWA three-time NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. Matt, we are at Richmond for the second time uh, in the 2023 season. It's kind of crazy because it feels like we were just here despite it being back in April Uh, but, uh, what should we expect this weekend? The playoffs are getting closer. So it's, it's kind of, we're getting down to the wire for some of these drivers to really get a win and lock themselves in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. We've got, uh, five races, including Sunday's cookout 400 before the playoffs start. And there are five open slots in the playoffs because only 11 guys have wins this year. So should we see, I mean, I'm betting you at this point we're gonna see at least three drivers point their way into the playoffs. I don't think we get a different driver winning each of the next five races. I don't see that happening. Um, could I see a couple guys? Sure. Um, but I don't think I don't think everything's being locked up by guys winning their way into the playoffs this year. So coming off of a testy Pocono race, and now we get short track racing, and it's like 120 degrees in the cars this weekend. Things are going to be fun on the track. I do find it... What What was your thought on, A, the Denny Hamlin-Kyle Larson thing, and, B, the fact that NASCAR did not talk to those two, but they talked to Priest and LaJoy and Redick and Dillon, but they didn't talk to Larson and Hamlin?
0: Well, did, did they not speak to... Larson and Hamlin because Larson and Hamlin didn't really have like an altercation off the track. Like Austin Dillon threw his helmet at Redick. The Priest was trying to pull. Well, you, you can make the argument. I don't know what was he was like,
1: trying to do to LaJoy. <laughs> yeah. It,
0: it, moves like that really sour me on Ryan Priest. I understand you got dumped and everything, but he's he has such a short fuse that yeah. I, I really don't know if he's going to last long in the series with an attitude like that. Uh, So I understand why NASCAR spoke with Priest and LaJoy. I don't know. I I know Larson and and Hamlin handled it a little more professionally. I I think there was a lot of behind-the-scenes discussions that they may have had. Um, Hamlin on his podcast. Well, Kyle Larson initially said that he didn't think that, uh, you know, Hamlin was was racing him like they were friends uh, because, I mean, they are friends. And, And Hamlin said on his podcast that he actually races his friends harder. I think where I disagree with Denny Sorry for the noise outside my apartment. Uh, where I would disagree with Denny is that I I he says he didn't make contact with Larson. He did. He did. He did. Uh, he clearly did. It's not even he there's not a window to, you know, squeeze the car in. But in doing so, he does force Larson up the track, uh, with contact, in my opinion. Yes. And so I, I wasn't a big fan of the move. Um, I understand why he was booed heavily after the race and I mean, mean, it is what it is. Like, it it just
1: seems like, you know, we can't get a Denny Hamlin, like, clean win. My issue with Denny is that if the tables were reversed, he would be going to Twitter to use SMP data to prove that he was wrecked and wronged, and Larson should be suspended, and they should take the win away from Larson and give it to him because he was wronged. Yet when he does it to somebody else, he can't stand up and cope with the fact that he made contact. Whether you like the move or not, and I'm undecided, do I want to see guys race hard for wins? Yes. Um, I think Kyle Petty's comments were mostly on the nose, except for the fact that he seemed to ding him at the end for not being original because he used the same move last year on Chastain. But again, Chastain barely touched him last year, and Denny spent the entirety of the Gateway race making Chastain's life a living hell. Yeah, but Hamlin turns around and does it, and it's not a problem. That's my only. That's my only complaint. If you're gonna race people that way, be able to take it. Denny's the the kid that could dish it out, but could never <clears throat> take it. That's Denny Hamlin. So, part
0: of me, part of me thinks like Denny Hamlin is doing this this Joey Logano esque kind of turn where you know who he is in the car is a completely different person than than what we see in the media because he also uses this platform and, and his podcast where, you know, he seems like a really nice guy and Danny Hamlin does have some like really good ideas in terms of like how they should, you know, push NASCAR into the future and everything. I think it's great that he's an owner, but at the same time, like he uses his platform just to, you know, come off as like a regular normal guy. And Whereas, you know, Logano is kind of the same way. He's, he's one of the nicest guys in interviews, but you hear from plenty of drivers on the track that he's probably one of the biggest a-holes out there
1: as well. Right, But <clears throat> To give credit to Joey Logano, which I don't do very often. Joey Logano owns it. He says, hell yeah, in an interview on Sirius XM NASCAR radio, he said, hell yeah, I'm two-faced. I'm a nice dude in the car, and when the helmet goes on, I flip a switch, and I'm (laughs) the meanest dude on the planet, and I don't care who's in my way. He owns it. Denny, on the other hand, wants to go, we're all friends. I don't know what he's talking about. I didn't make any mistakes. And just wants to keep the nice guy attitude going, Well pulling dale senior moves like at least dale senior owned it right at least kyle bush owns it it goes if you don't like racing like that don't watch then he goes i didn't make any contact they wrecked themselves no they didn't check the check the right side of your car man there's kyle larson paint scuffs on it see it on nbc's replay it wasn't that hard to to see
0: all right. Well, we are at Richmond Raceway this weekend. It is a home track for Denny Hamlin. Uh, it's a track that the Toyotas and Joe Gibbs Racing specifically have done very well at. We. It's a short, flat track, high tire wear. Uh, yep. I heard on a podcast, I can't remember which one. I apologize. I listened to like five or six NASCAR podcasts this week. Uh, I heard an argument that this has arguably higher tire wear than Darlington, which kind of blew my mind. Um, but this is a short, flat track. Uh, what should we expect this weekend?
1: I would, I would say that that argument makes <clears throat> some sense to me. A, the, the temps here are going to be hot. It's like 90-something degrees there uh, for practice and qualifying today. We're recording this about 3.30 uh, Eastern time on Saturday. Uh, it's not going to be that much cooler on Sunday. So the hot – temps on the track certainly add to the tire wear. It is a very worn out track. Uh the reason why I would agree that it's that it's arguably more is because it's a shorter track. So there's no chance for the heat to dissipate. Like at Darlington, you could kind of ease it off throttle a little bit in the in the corners, right? And let the momentum of the corner carry you through and not add heat to the tires. Richmond it, there's no break, man. It's a three-quarter mile flat track. You're on throttle. I mean, not. It doesn't sound like all that much, but if you're turning and then it's fl- straight, and then also keep in mind, it's a trioval.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not an oval like you know Bristol or Martinsville or New Hampshire. It's the a front tri-oval. stretch is
0: essentially like a wide bend.
1: Right. So the if you look at it, it looks like a shrunk down Deep. Kansas or you know Vegas, just flatter and shorter. So I, 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 I get the argument that it might be more tire wear than Darlington. It's certainly more than any other short track. So that's going to play a role. Uh, I would expect it to be slick, uh, which should be fun because somebody's going to mess up and go up the track, and that's going to be all sorts of fun. Uh, pit strategy is going to be key. Passing is going to be hard, people. Let's not get turned off because it's tough to pass. It's a short track. They're all hard to pass. Drivers it should be hard to, to pass. It's motorsports. Too. Like, it's motorsports. It shouldn't just be like, oh, here you go. Here's first place, and I'll hand it back to you. No, it should be tough to pass. So, um, Doesn't mean it's impossible, though. There are some interesting strategies here for DFS. One thing I always hated about
0: Richmond, uh, especially for DFS, was that I would always get in my own way when I would build lineups because – you know we love we love targeting pd we love getting those guys that can move up and and those value plays that you know start outside the top 30 that you hope maybe can finish top 25 or top 20 uh but one thing that for, for the longest time i would always forget would be that richmond is a track where the guys that start at the rear if they don't have speed they can easily lose a lap um and in the second and third stages that becomes losing a second lap it becomes losing a third lap Um, and if you're not getting an abundance of cautions to get back on the lead lap, you could be in trouble. And so when I build out 20 lineups, I do reserve a handful of lineups to maybe just play guys that start inside the top 25, maybe the top 28. You know, you don't necessarily need to backload it with drivers starting outside the top 30. Now that's to say like you could have value plays that maybe start, P thirty five and a guy that maybe finishes twenty fourth, but he's still going to be multiple laps down. This is one of those races where drivers will lose the lead lap, and then it just becomes difficult for them to really increase their ceiling if they can't get back on the lead
1: lap. Right, that's always the danger at a short track. Is going a lap down isn't the worst thing because there's going to be a lot of people that go a lap down on a short track. Right, a few years ago, I think we saw nine people finish on the lead lap here at Richmond because Truex was just lapping people left and right yeah. that day. The problem becomes for DFS that caps their ceiling because let's say there's 15 guys on the lead lap and you're in 16th and you're a lap down. Passing the 15th driver doesn't get you anything. You're still scored 16th because you're still a lap behind them. You have to go past 15 guys to get on the lead lap. And then you have to pass everybody again to get back to 15th to get the one spot that you've now passed 40 cars to go get. So that's a little bit of the concern here. Uh, in the playbook, I do break down a fairly interesting stat regarding DFS scoring and, you know, thinking that, oh, there's a lot of PD upside in the back of this field this week, which it looks like there is based on some wackadoodle practice times and the way that they keep separating people in Group A and Group B so we can't tell who's actually fast. And then people screwed up qualifying because the track changed. In the last five races at Richmond, people starting p20 or worse there are only five drivers who started p20 or worse who rank in the top 20 of dfs scoring averages in that time there's only five starting spots in the back half of the field that score in the top half of dfs so that tells you you got to pick and choose your spots in the back half of the field it's not just a free-for-all oh these guys can move up that's not always the case here in fact it's very tough to move up here um doesn't guarantee you that if you play all top 10 guys they're going to finish there either right because about half of the top 10 at the end of the race started outside the top 12 so you can move up but it's a lot of pit strategy and it's picking the drivers properly not just assuming oh this guy's starting 25th he can move up well not if he gets Jammed at the start of the race, it's going to be a serious problem. Uh, how many laps do we have for this race? Is it four hundred? Four hundred laps, which is three hundred miles around Richmond. Uh,
0: safe to say, with probably, if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably going to be around two hundred sixty Dominator points. But safe to say, that's going to be a two, maybe even a three Dominator build for this race. Uh,
1: yeah, generally. So <clears throat> if so, on average, over the last ten Richmond races, there have been thirty-five caution laps a race in that span. So if you take that off the 400, that's about 365 laps that we can say are green flag dominators, which puts it about 250 dominator points. Um, if there are very few caution laps, we get more because obviously, you know, you'll still get laps led under caution, but fastest laps go away because everybody's going the same speed. Right. So if there are less cautions, you have more dominator points in terms of fastest laps. Um I would say probably a two dominator race is generally how it's shaken out over the last five races. We've seen one and a half drivers a race lead 100 or more laps. Uh, We've seen about three to four drivers a race crack the 50 lap barrier. So... You know, there's, there's enough to get two dominators. I don't see this being a three-dominator one. I certainly don't see it where nobody's cracking 100 laps. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, but we do have some interesting guys starting up towards the front, um, which is important this
0: one, I, I think before we dive into them, my next question was going to be because there have been a lot of critiques and complaints about the short track package. The last time we saw it uh, – they were, they were in the short track package at New Hampshire, right? Because yes. It's a flat track. Um, we did see Martin Truex Jr. essentially run up front the entire race, but the passing was actually decent. Yes. At New Hampshire, it wasn't terrible. Do you think that we could see that kind of momentum carry over with Richmond, or do you think that
1: – I think so. I mean, okay. I think if we look back <laughs> in the April race, it was a pretty good race by Richmond standards. There was more mm-hmm. passing in that race than we've seen Previously, there's reports that they're, you know, still tinkering with, you know, the splitter and and some some different stuff to improve it. Um, but sometimes you just get a guy who has the right setup for the right day and it works. That it's always going to be the case in racing, mm-hmm. no matter if you give, um, you know, we've seen series where they give everybody the exact same car and somebody just goes out and dominates because just happens that day, right? Um, That being said, I still think that the laps led here are coming from the front of the pack. I still think it's going to be pretty hard to find somebody outside the top 10 that's going to lead a big chunk of laps.
0: Now, in terms of those precious laps led and those dominator points, who are some drivers that you're looking at for Sunday's race to run up front and maybe get us,
1: if I had to guess, I don't know,
0: 30, 40 dominator points?
1: So here's where it gets interesting. Tyler Reddick is on the Mm pole. Tyler Reddick didn't run all that well in practice. Tyler Reddick has never led a lap at a short track in the Cup Series. Is he going to break that streak (laughs) on Sunday? Or is he going to lead like one lap and then get overtaken? Because the guy on the outside of him is Kyle Busch, which is kind of fitting that those two are meeting up here because obviously they swap the, you know, in a roundabout way, got swapped for each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Kyle Busch leads a bunch of laps either because he started pretty well here in April and dropped back because the RCR car he's still getting used to here. So it's hard not to go with William Byron, who led basically every category in practice. Now.
0: He was in the faster session.
1: He was in the faster session. <laughs> um, so do we... Do we fully count it? I would say that over the long, the the course of the long run, if you look at long run speed, which he tops basically every category, that it would probably even out, and he's still pretty quick. Plus, it's William Byron, and he's been fast in basically everything this year. Um, so I would say William Byron is a threat to lead quite a bit of laps here. Um, if we're looking for some interesting guys, Chase Elliott. Yeah. Could be a guy who's Got himself a pretty good starting spot here. Um, do you think ready. he needs a
0: win to get in the playoffs?
1: I think at this point. I don't I'm know if getting... the top tens are going to continually do it.
0: I thought that there was a chance that he could still point his way in, but now it's to the point where I do th- I'm do. i on that. I've hopped the fence, and I'm on the side that I think he, he just needs to get a win. There's still, There are still road courses. where There's two happen. road
1: courses, and there's Daytona. <laughs> yeah. So there are shots. Plus, if you chase Elliott, you could theoretically win anywhere you show up to. <clears throat> He's that kind of driver. He does have top, 10 top 10s in 17 races this year. So, you know, he's been consistent, but I do think he needs to win. Um, So I think, it's, I think it comes down to the two Hendrick guys leading a bunch of laps. I do think that Denny Hamlin is <clears throat> going to be a contender later in the race um, to lead laps.
0: You don't think he can get up there early? I mean, starting third.
1: I mean, he's starting third. I think the problem is that his short run speed at practice was so bad. Okay. I think he's going to drop back a little bit. And then the longer it runs green, his car got way better. Um, So, or who knows? Maybe he just punts Kyle Busch out of the way. He's not going to punt <laughs> Tyler Reddick because that's his own car. So he's not going to punt Tyler Reddick. But maybe he punts Kyle Busch out of the way and goes, I didn't make contact. And then leads a bunch of laps and, he, and then gets booted his own home track with the, uh, all those 11 fans that are in attendance. <laughs> I, did, um, I did like that tweet. That was funny. Uh, all right. So what happened with Christopher Bell,
0: first and foremost? I mean, this is a track where I was I was prepared to play a lot of Bell. Uh, he starts P29. I missed his practice session. I'm qualifying, so I didn't really have eyes on what happened. But, you know, he's he 10,000. What's that? He was just off. It
1: was just okay. a bad setup. <laughs> um i i too was shocked right so i'm doing i write the betting pieces for picks wise before sorry for the herd of elephants running through the house apparently my kids have friends over and they have zero regard for what i'm doing um so you know writing the betting pieces i was all over Bell for a shot to win uh and for top five finish, because he's got five straight top six finishes here, this is arguably his second best track behind New Hampshire. He also, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, has three Xfinity Series wins. Who's that? Uh, Bell has three mm-hmm. Xfinity Series wins at Richmond, I believe. He might.
0: I'm struggling to get driver averages open right now. But yeah, it, yeah, I
1: think it's been down all day. It sounds right. Okay. No. it. I saw a tweet about it. I think it crashed earlier today. Okay. Um, I think it's just I think they tried something with the setup. Maybe as a playoff thing, because there's a couple of shorter, flatter tracks in the playoffs, a.k.a. Phoenix, which compares well to Richmond, and so maybe it's a test setup and it didn't work. I'm still prepared to play him, because he's been far too good at this track to just say, oh, he's 1329, 29 didn't look great, he's not going to move up. I think he's got the ability, the car and the team to move up. So I'm, I'm still on him, but it was definitely a rougher practice than we expected.
0: Um, one driver that we were talking about before, and I think you and I might just be on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Uh, Ryan Blaney is $9,000, starts P25. He's only had, I guess, one good DFS performance, if we're talking about being a good play at Richmond. It was the one year that he was on the pole, and he led, I think, like 70 to 90 laps or something like that. Um starts P25, and I'm not crazy about Penske this weekend, but you seem optimistic that he can go out and be a fantasy gem.
1: So let me preface this with this. I am not expecting Blaney to go out and win, right? But we don't need him to win. We need a solid showing from him to hit value. Is he capable of that? Sure. If we look at the 15 similar races over the last two years in the Gen 7 car, and for similar races – we're looking at Richmond, we're looking at Martinsville, we're looking at Phoenix, Nashville, a little bit of Gateway, and a little bit of New Hampshire in there. Okay? If you look at those, 15 races. Ryan Blaney's got 11 top 10 finishes, and 7 top 5 finishes. Granted, not a single win, but I don't need him to win for DFS. Am I betting him to win? Yeah, because the odds were way too low for a guy who's been in contention that much. So if he pulls off a top 10, starting where he's starting, we're golden. We're good. And I think people are going to overlook him because he stated in the past he doesn't like Richmond. The last two races of Richmond haven't been great for him. Uh, Meanwhile, Logano, his teammate, has been pretty good at Richmond. He's Penske. And so I'm banking on the fact that he can share some notes with Logano and that his results at similar tracks, show up and give us a decent day. Again, that's all we need from him. We don't need dominator points. We don't need win equity. We just need a top-10 finish, which he's pulled off 11 of 15 times, which is tied for the most of any driver in the field in that span. You're muted. Sorry about that.
0: Uh, Starting right next to Ryan Blaney uh, at 7,700. Is Chris Busher? He is P26. Uh, you did mention before we started recording that you had to pivot off Kislowski for Busher. I get it. It's a PD play. Um
1: That's a little Bush, bit of cost savings.
0: Yeah, like he saves you 900 bucks off his teammate. Um, but overall, like um I struggled to shake the stigma of the Fords. I know they've gotten better, but there's it's really hard to deny how consistent like Chris Busher has been. I'm just scrolling through his DraftKings like finishes, and he just has like Plenty, of, like consistently in the top 20 for what feels like the last three months uh, with some top 15s baked in there. And I feel like he should have no issue paying off this price tag as long as he can just, you know, consistently move up through the field throughout the race and not lose a lap.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's going to be popular. He's cheaper than a teammate. He has a better <clears throat> practice session than his teammate. He's starting further back than his teammate. And he's been arguably more consistent, though. Kieslowski has turned it on of late in the shorter, flatter tracks. That being said, Kislowski's is a perfectly fine play. Either of the RFK guys are perfectly fine. The last time Kislowski finished outside the top 15, you have to go back to 2014 at Richmond. Like, I'm talking specifically at Richmond. Right, right, right. right. Outside the top 15 at Richmond, he's done it every race twice a year since 2015. That's pretty impressive because he's been on, granted, both with Fords but two different teams, right? So... Him starting where he is, I just don't see quite as much value upside in him this week unless he shocks everybody and moves up like seven spots. Right? Yeah. I
0: mean, it, and it could happen because, I mean, he got a top five at New Hampshire a few weeks yeah. ago. I think he was 10th in this race in the spring. Um, but well, I think I he also offered – I think uh, he had more PD.
1: So he started 24th and finished 10th, yeah. right? <clears throat> And his teammate, uh, Busher. Let's see where he.
0: He started seventh and finished thirtieth. at forty-two last, fastest had, laps.
1: Right, he had the he had the issue early in the race, and then was just off pit cycle, so he always had fresh tires. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Just smoking people <laughs> through the field. That's why he went and still wound up with forty-two fastest laps. That's anyway. awesome. So. You know, but that gives credence to to Busher, who's now starting basically where Kez did in April and has a shot at a top ten, right? Um I just wish Kez would have qualified a few spots further back.
0: I hear you. But
1: that's I feel like that's I say that about
0: Brad Keselowski almost every week and I'm like I wish he started like 2 rows. Not
1: to say we don't have leverage though, right? Because <clears> people are all going to be thinking the same thing. Man, if he had started like 17th and then he pulls off a top 10, then I get a little bit more PD, I have a little right. bit more upside. But on the flip side, now you got leverage because if he still finishes top 10, there's still a little bit of value to be had.
0: Uh, dipping down into the value range for some uh, some very interesting plays. Daniel Suarez is not a, really a heavy value because he's more expensive than Chris Boscher but he starts P33 at 7,800. Uh, scrolling down, we do have some SHR drivers in Eric Almirola and Chase Briscoe starting P24 and P20, respectively. And then we get AJ Allmendinger, who is only starting P36 because he wasn't uh, in Richmond for practice and qualifying today. So because of the driver change, he'll start at the rear. Yeah. His teammate is starting P20, who are, I guess, you know, just a summation, like, who are the value plays that you think can
1: move up maybe 10 to 15 spots and, and, you know. This is where it gets wild, right? And this is where practice really screws us up because the the group A times were so much faster than the group B times that if you were in group A, you get credit for being higher in your averages and single lap speeds than if you were in group B. And then you go out and you qualify and you suck. Like J.J. Yaley, I'm pretty sure was in group A right he's credited with running the 12th best five lap average and the 13th best overall lap time and yet he's starting 35th do i really think jj yaley is a top 15 car? no i don't think so but the you know the practice time somebody's gonna bite on it and so this week when you see the practice to qualifying table in the playbook don't go ham for everybody who's starting 30th and is going to move up 22 spots It's just the way the practice times worked, and there's not really anything I can do about it. So to answer your question, I think Corey LaJoy is a guy that's going to be very popular. Um, Now, popularity and me playing him are two different things. I'm a little leery of Corey LaJoy this week. I did put him as an add-on below Todd Gilliland, but here's the thing with Corey LaJoy. He's starting – 31st Yep, he ran theoretically top 10 practice times right so it looks like great and he's having a career year and he's the only guy who hasn't not finished a race um but at his value we still need him to finish p23 or better to hit 5x his average finish over eight richmond races is 26th in similar races the last 15 similar races, it's also 26. <clears throat> do I really see him nabbing a top 20? I don't know, but we kind of need him to do it to get value. Um, I think Todd Gilliland still has sneaky I body. I love Todd Gilliland. I do. Now. I didn't want to say it like out loud, like yeah. super confident, because he
0: starts P16, and I'm like, well, that's kind of like a blessing but and a curse. He finished
1: P15 here in the spring, and he yeah. ran 15th <clears throat> at like, New Hampshire, and, and like, he had issues at gateway but he he ran pretty well at the shorter flat because track. other
0: drivers like drivers starting there will be plenty of drivers that fall off the lead lap and as long as he can just stay on the lead yep. lap he, he's not going to be one of those guys that's going to necessarily move up but pretty much like you kind of just hope that he can just start where he's at if run he there all day holds and finishes there we're good yeah <laughs> yeah uh, okay. All right. I thought I would maybe be on an island, but uh, we're running out of time. So, are there any final thoughts on uh, either drivers or strategies for Sunday's race?
1: Uh, well, we're looking for you know, I break down a whole bunch of strategies by site in the playbook. Obviously, a bunch of drivers. I'm changing some out from what I wrote last night during an insomnia attack, uh, because some guys didn't do what I expected. But, playbook will be out, podcast projections will have core plays, it'll be good. Uh, Richmond should be a pretty fun race on Sunday
0: Awesome, well Matt, thank you so much for your time Best of luck to you on Sunday at Richmond And best of luck to the FA Nation
1: Best of luck, FA Nation
0: Rise and shine for National Biscuit Month With Hardy's famous buttermilk biscuits Made with love, from scratch, fresh all morning It's not the easy way, but it's the right way Hardy's, goodness in the making.